This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, hello everyone and welcome into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. Ben Dowsett, as always, joins me on the, on the other side. Also works for KSL, associate editor for Salt City Hoops. We're just happy to be back. We are. This is cool. Our last show was October 1st. We've been bumped by the Major League Baseball playoffs. We know that that's important. I, I'm a baseball guy still. I, I love watching the playoffs, but it's good to have NBA back in our lives. The show back here, uh, you know. Getting the the basketball talk to you. I was a huge Our, baseball guy until like a week and a half ago, <laughs> and now I have not watched a moment of baseball since that time. You are a Toronto Blue Jays fan, correct? I am. And that was um, a ball. You were <laughs> you were bitter about proceedings the whole time. I was. I, I I'm conditioned as a Toronto sports fan. Like I've been rooting for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Blue Jays my entire. And then when I'm not rooting for them, I've been rooting for the Jazz. Like I'm conditioned to expect my team to not win the championship. I mean, the Broncos have been relatively successful, at least. Right? I only started rooting for the Broncos in 06 when I moved to... So they've been to a mm. Super Bowl since then, which is cool, but I wasn't a Broncos fan for the Super Bowls or anything, because that's when I lived in But you've got to be happy with even, like, a little bit of success, right? No, like, I mean, it was still super fun for the Blue yeah, Jays. Okay. Like, it was a lot of fun, but it, it that was a ball, and it was... Yeah, I'm a little bitter. Okay. But, like we said, there's basketball back, There's baby, basketball! And so we're going to talk about, about it. it. Um... And I mean, I don't blame you. I think last night's game, game one of the Utah Jazz season, uh, lost to the Detroit Pistons on the road, 92-87, was an exciting game and kind of reminded why, you know, why we like playing, why we like watching basketball, you know, game going down to pretty much the final possession, Um, you know, runs by the Jazz, good defense. Uh, I I thought they played pretty well. Let's get into it a little bit chronologically. Right. For, I actually just wanted sure. to say Go something ahead. super quick because we're going to do a lot of jazz here in a second. I just want to say the Pistons are better than people thought they were going to be. And, like, it's the Jazz did some things that weren't great last night, but there should be no shame necessarily in losing on the road to that team. No. That's a good bet. They are a very well-coached basketball I, team, and they know exactly what they are. I will say that uh, it was back-to-back for the Pistons. It was. So we have to keep that in mind. And it, I think that may have been why they struggled so much. Um, quick show note, by the way, before, again, before we get into yeah. it, um, we've got Seth part now coming on the show at eight o'clock, uh, the managing editor of nylonkalculus.com. Uh, and then of course you guys can always text or call or tweet us. Uh, the call in number is eight, seven, seven, three, five, three, zero, seven hundred. Or you can tweet us at Andy B Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett, D O W S E T T that, uh, we actually have our first caller, I believe. So, Riley, I believe Riley's calling in to uh, ask us a question. Let's see, Riley, what do you got for us? Uh, well, first of all, I just wanted to say it's good to have Salt City Hoops back. It's uh, no more three-week breaks if we can make that happen. <laughs> well, well baseball, pl- baseball playoffs shouldn't get <laughs> Um, so I got home today, and I kind of caught up on all of the drama on Twitter with uh, Trey's parents. Yeah. Being the first game of the season, do you guys foresee this at all being a situation that's similar to the Cantor situation with the Jazz take a precautionary measure and 
maybe move Trey before it becomes a distraction? Or do you think it's something that, uh, like some of the drama in the past with Trey will just kind of blow over? Yeah, I, so we had this slated for later on in the show, but let's go ahead and, and bring it up now, and then we can talk about it now and later. And, and Okay. Yeah. But, I think the um, way to talk about it is to, right now is to answer sort of Riley's question is, do you think this is trending to a point where the Jazz themselves might start getting upset with it? Let's, uh, let me first break down what happened because it was yeah. on Twitter rather than, you know, on this, on this station. So last night I, um, you know, I covered the games and, and posted two highlight videos of, or I should say low light videos of Trey Burke getting uh, blown by in, in pick and roll defense or non pick and roll defense, even in isolation by Steve Blake, who is a 35 year old, not very fast guy. And, and truth be told, Trey Burke really does have to stay in front of that in order for the Jazz's defense to be successful. No what happened is Rudy Gobert had to come over and help, and then his man Andre Drummond was able to get an easy put-back dunk as a result. Uh, I posted those two tweets. Trey Burke's father, Benji Burke, who is also his agent, tweeted me back, LMAO, uh, that's not Trey's fault, and then called me a... Non-repeatable word. Non-repeatable word, but not the worst of swear words. We'll put it that way, okay? Not a nice word either, <laughs> though. And, and certainly not unprompted, I think it's fair to say. So that's that's what Riley is talking about when he calls into the show. And also, I think he's referencing there have been multiple incidents surrounding the Burke family in general and their usage of Twitter with people who have opinions about Trey's play. You know, and, and understandably so. I mean, you, you keep in mind that this was the first game of the season after a great preseason for Trey Burke, I yep. think we both agree. Mm-hmm. Uh they they drove hours to go to Detroit, and their son was, first of all, benched, you know, did not start the game. And then second of all, didn't play in the fourth quarter, did not play well in the first three quarters when he did play. That's got to be emotionally frustrating. Oh, no question. Uh, and, and so... I don't blame them for feeling frustrated at all. And what, maybe we'll get to this a bit more as far as, like, the you know, the, the moral side of this and, and such. But, you know, there's lots of parents of NBA players in the world, and not all NBA players get to play the full game and play lots of minutes and yeah. play in the fourth quarter and such. Yeah. And that's got to be equally frustrating for all those parents who, for the rest of those kids' lives, have probably watched those kids dominate at basketball. Because yeah, most I mean, NBA the, players do. He, he's, a, he's a college player of the year. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we – and I, I want to – not let it end there that you know Benji and I had a back and forth conversation that I thought was kind of productive we agreed basically that that Quinn Snyder kind of knows best in this situation he's as a coach he gets to determine the minutes and I'll tell you this much from a front office point of view from you know sources I have within the jazz organization they don't view Trey Burke as a on the court or off the court problem whatsoever and I wouldn't wouldn't think they they you know Player agents call all the time to the front office, to the coaching staff, complaining about this or that with regards to playing time or whatever the case might be. Benji has not done that, by and large. It has not been the biggest problem with that. And in particular, it's fair to say that him and Max Urgul, who is Enes Cantor's agent, are kind of on spectrum in terms of uh, getting involved into coaching decisions. Right. And... Trey Burke and Ennis Cantor, I think, are on different ends of that spectrum and, and spectrum in terms of being happy about the, those sort of playing time decisions. Right. Um, and, and that's ultimately why I think this is not going to be like an Ennis Cantor situation from last season. Okay. I, I think that's. I think maybe we leave it there for now. We answered the part of the question that, that Riley was asking, and then I think we'll talk about a little more about sort of the uh, moral or ethical <laughs> righteousness of that I, sort of thing. A little yeah, bit I mean, I, I don't want to like get into it's. It's not that big of a moral issue that I was right. called whatever I was called. But um, I, I didn't even mean as much that more more the, the the fact that this has become a pattern now, rather rather than a single isolated incident. This is like the fourth. 
ish. Yeah. Um, which again, like people are in t- completely entitled to their opinions. I have a lot of opinions on Twitter all the time, <laughs> and that's totally fine. But at a certain at a certain level, there's a a different standard, and we'll get into that because we have lots yeah. of actual jazz stuff. to Yeah. Get let's into talk now. about basketball before we go into the off court stuff. And I promise you, Riley and, and the rest of our listeners, we will get back to this later on in the show. Um, but I mean, and this is kind of related. The first thing that I think set Trey Burke's parents off was the starting lineup decision. So let's start there. Raul Neto started for the Jazz at the point guard position. Uh, he's the first rookie to start game one of an opening season since 1994. That's pretty impressive. That was Luther Wright, by the way. Uh, he's the first point guard, rookie point guard, to start for the Jazz since 1979 when the team first moved to Utah. Ooh. So, I mean, it's been a long time since a rookie point guard started a game for the Jazz. Rookie point guard doing something John Stockton never did. Or Darren <laughs> Williams. Yeah. I mean, the, the Jazz have had some good point guards. Um, and then, secondly... Uh, Rodney Hood started in place of Alec Burks. Right. What do you think about that? Is that the right decision for this team? I, I think let's take them separately. Uh, okay. Or do you want to take them together? No, let's, I, let's do it separately. I think separately. Te- taking them separately, I think starting Neto is absolutely the right call, given what we've seen thus far. And again, Trey Burke had a fantastic preseason, and I'm factoring that in. I'm uh, factoring in that you're hoping that Trey has improved a, a bit as far as shooting selection, as far as his actual accuracy, his stroke, things like that. I think he it fits a little bit better to have him come off the bench and kind of be a, a captain of sorts on that second unit. Mm-hmm. Didn't work so well last night, but I think conceptually that works really well. And on the other side of things, again, this is something we don't know long-term yet, but it looks as though Raul Neto is more comfortable as a shooter than we thought he was going to be coming in yeah. at this level. If that continues even to a similar degree, that it's, I mean, he's not going to shoot 100% from three all year long, but if that continues... To a, a, a decent degree, I think he fits much better with the starters. He's a, he's a, a better playmaker than Trey Burke. I don't think that's a, a big reach. He's a, a, a much better defender. I don't think that's a reach of any sort either. And if he's hitting, if he can hit those spot up threes while Hayward and Favors and Burke slash Hood create away from him, and he can punish defenses who sag too far off him, I think that's a, a pretty excellent fit there. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I, I think. You look at the same decision the Jazz made last season with Dante Exum and, yeah. and, and getting a point guard who could defend and, and moving Trey Burke out of the starting lineup where his, his shots make a little bit more sense. Um, yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's look at the two-guard spot of that with, with Hood and Burks. That one I'm a little closer on. I do think that because Neto still is not proven as far as a shooter, that putting Rodney alongside him who who is close to at least a lot closer to being guard makes sense. Um, you know, we know Alec Burks had a good percentage from three last year, but he is, uh, I think we're going to get to this in a second, really unwilling to shoot that shot. Yeah. And it's starting to damage the offense a little bit when he's playing guys are just sagging too far off of him. And that, that just hurts a little too much. That said, I think there are situations where Burks could be just as good of a fit there as hood. And I wouldn't have any issue with it if they decided to switch that part of it up every now and then. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I actually asked Quinn if it would be reasonable to change the matchup depending on whatever, cha- sorry, change the starting lineup depending on what the matchups are. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, that would be a very European point of view. However, the Jazz probably don't have enough practice time in between games in order for that to work. So just just kind of a follow-up right. there. Um, I, I thought, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think Rodney Hood, be, by willing to take those threes by being willing to take those threes he deserves to be in the starting lineup especially if you're going to start Raul Neto next to him and yeah. and you know you can't just have only one shooter in the lineup I, before we jump to the to the point guards I think we should hit that issue because you're yeah, with it and I think it's a team-wide thing the, the the Jazz are absolutely going to have to stop being so gun-shy 
from the three-point line if they're going to want to have offensive success this year. And it's worth pointing out that they weren't usually this gun-shy last year. They only no. had four. I, I believe it was three or four games with 12 or fewer three-point attempts last year. Um, they hit at least three-point shots, and three three-point shots in every game last season. So this was kind of an outlier if you look at last year and this year together. Okay. And I don't think that they've gotten worse at shooting. You know, They, they haven't lost... The player that they lost, Jeremy Evans, was not a three-point shooter. No, and the season. other one, Dante Exum, wasn't either. Right. So. I mean, he took three-point shots. He took a majority of his shots were from behind the three-point line. Yeah. But he wasn't good at it, let's no. be clear. He was a 31% three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think the Jazz should at least be able to be taking that many shots as they did last season. I, If not more. If not yeah. significantly more, honestly. And uh, I, to me... That was maybe my largest concern last night, or mm-hmm. or one of them, was the number of, and then not even necessarily just threes, but the number of shots where it's like, you have a good shot, take the shot. The Jazz too often are, are just unwilling to take shots that are there. And the three-pointers are the biggest deal, because those are the most valuable shots, obviously. But there there's just too many situations, and I think it spills down to the entire offense. There's just, there's not enough purpose in the offense that we've seen so far. Who do you think's at most fault for that? I honestly, I really don't know that I can single out one guy. I, maybe Hayward, I guess, because if anyone okay. should be taking a lot more shots than he did last night, it should probably be Gordon. Uh, but I, I think some of, and I think some of it is truthfully nobody's fault, and I think some of it plays back into the way the Jazz are running their offense, which is something that I wanted to briefly touch on as well. I'm, and it's something I've you mentioned s- a lot. The I just think there's too much fluff in Utah's offense. I know you hate it, and I I think it's it's purposeful. I mean, we've both of us have asked, asked Quinn Snyder about this, right? right. The idea is to kind of switch the side from strong to weak side, move basically body positions around. So if you've got a screen coming from one side or the other, the guy can't see it as well. Yeah. You basically get more separation in these actions. But nobody's nobody's falling for that. Is it's what not my that they're concerns. falling for it. it. It's 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 not a matter of falling for it or not falling for it. It's just getting their the bodies in the, in the particular positions in order to run the plays. But you can my my whole point with that is you can get those bodies where they need to be without running all without taking so ten you, seconds off your shot clock. And so, for example, the Jazz will typically bring the ball up the court. Let's say it's Burke bringing the ball up on the left side of the floor. He'll rotate the ball to the center to let's say mm-hmm. Gobert. He'll rotate it over to the other side to Hayward. Yes. Why why not? Why not just like have Burke initiate the action on the other side, or why not just pass to Hayward and have him start the action over there? You save. Or there are and there are other slightly deeper examples where they run a couple of screens down low to get uh, you know a pin down for Hayward to come up and receive the ball on the weak side. Just 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 have him go up there and pass him the ball. Nobody's going to guard Gordon Hayward f- f- thirty five feet from the. That's hoop. the thing is no, but the, I agreed that they're not going to guard him. But if you can get him off balance off that pin down, then that makes that second pick and roll much more likely to actually get separation. I'm I'm just to be honest, I don't know if I agree with that statement because I think everybody knows exactly what's coming when the Jazz are doing sure, it. They and they're know guys what's coming, that- but it's it's more difficult to execute. I mean, it's like if you're Gordon Hayward's defender on that play. Instead of running through one screen, you have to run through two. It's the same reason you run two screens for a guy for a great shooter off the ball because it's just harder to trail for that guy. In that case, my answer to that would be that the, if that's the the philosophy, the Jazz have to begin that second action much quicker because they're getting that I'm pin down that. for Hayward. He's running up, catching the ball, 
and then stopping and surveying for two seconds. And that guy who's just run yeah. through a pick and you're hoping he's out of position, now he's not out of position anymore because he's got time to stand back up. Just in general, those little things, that, and that stuff really matters when you're trying to run a motion offense. I, I think there's some of it is just that you have to iron kinks out and, you've, and it's still a young team and they're still mastering this. But I, I do think it's a bit of a concern in, in general. Well, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get why you're concerned, and obviously there were uh, the Jazz had too many 24-second shot clock problems last season. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really the case last night. That part wasn't. No, I just felt that it it just leaves you in a bad situation where you're, you, you run one action. If that action doesn't work, oh, shoot, we got seven seconds left on the shot clock, and we got to do something. Watch, for example, just for those who want to know what I'm talking about, go watch Golden State for like a quarter. Right, watch but what Golden they State do. is not the Jazz. The Jazz have the worst shooters in the league, nah. but Golden State has the best but the, shooters but in the league. The point I'm trying to make isn't about their shooters. The point I'm trying to make is about the, the way that they, the time they leave themselves to do things when the first thing you're doing doesn't work. And that, yeah. to me, that's a really, really big deal for a team like the Jazz, who unfortunately, that first thing isn't going to work some high percentage of the time. No doubt. But the, the reason that that works for Golden State is because they don't have to generate spacing through movement like the Jazz do. Because they can generate spacing by having the two best shooters in the league. I just think that they've removed a lot of the the, the fluff, the the useless fluff. That I I agree with Again, you. Not, not all useless. of the off ball stuff is useless, but I really think some of it is. And I'll, I mean, we'll have to do like you, a video review of this at some point, so I can yeah, point no, out the exact stuff that I think is is really kind of useless. It's a good point, and I think the the second action you're right. I think needs to have to happen faster. If Hayward gets the ball, he needs to move quickly. I think Quinn Snyder would agree there. I would be curious to see again. Have you asked him about those oh, specifically? I will. Like <laughs> not not even don't. Don't make this question, I don't know, don't soften it up. Just be like, hey, I think this offense is too slow. Why do you do all the back and forth stuff? It's not working for me. <laughs> I mean, maybe not that personal, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I can't say it that personal. No, but yeah, I, I, I definitely plan to ask Quinn about that general thing because, let's face it, Quinn Snyder knows a lot more about basketball than me, and he's probably got some very good reasons for me. They're exactly the same as my reasons. Well, no, probably not. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, let's get back. In, I mean, that was interesting. But let's get back into last night's game a little bit okay. more. Um, first of all, Trey Burke versus Raul Neto. We mentioned how poorly Trey Burke played against, Lee, especially defensively against Steve Blake. Zero points on the night. Two shots, one rebound, one assist. Um, was minus 15 for the game in only 16 minutes. That's not great. Neto, meanwhile, hit the only two three-point shots on the team. Finished with eight Ooh. points, plus 12 in his 26 minutes. Just a, a massive difference in effectiveness last night. And I thought it was obvious, not only statistically, but in watching the game. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a whole much more to <laughs> add to what you just said. That all that was right. Alec Burks. Um, Scored well, 18 points, six, six rebounds to continue his good rebounding yeah, from the preseason. Crazy. He just keeps it going. Still did not take a three-point shot, which is why he's not in the starting lineup. Yeah, and that's I think that's going to be that and his he did he had another couple of sort of off-ball spacey times, like whether it was in transition or just yeah. generally off the ball on defense, where those are his two biggest things this year yep. by far. Because the rest, you can tell, the rest of his game is is really humming. He's playing really well the rest of his game. Just that stuff right there is those are two really big deals for him, and especially when you got a guy like Hood who can play some of those same minutes. I, I am. This is okay. It's too early to say what I'm about to say, so I'm just straight up not going to say it. You said you were going to include the word trade in there, weren't you? No, I, I I think the defense is a real concern that he needs to issue out. He needs to iron out in order to be you know, a long-term part of a starting lineup. Okay, I thought you were going to say the trade thing because I've seen that on Twitter a few times. I, I think uh, yeah. 
But, uh, but game one, I don't think we that. can advocate for that yet. And I will never advocate for Alex <laughs> being traded from the Utah Jazz. Gordon Hayward struggled last night. Uh, 13 points, five of, 11, 5 of 11 shooting, 4 rebounds, 1 assist, team high, 4 turnovers. Um, it, he never seemed like he got going. He did score the go-ahead bucket in, in uh, clutch time, which I think is good because he, he has struggled in clutch yeah. last season. But it, he didn't take the the big leap that I think a lot of people kind of expected from him this season, based on well, Not mostly how night. good his body works. Yeah, and I'm I was going to ask you what you thought of this because I'm still having trouble putting my finger on. I mean, apart from he wasn't quite as aggressive as you would maybe expect from him normally, and some of his shots that might go down normally didn't. What I, I'm just struggling to figure out what was off about him. Something was off, but I'm I'm really not. For whatever reason, I can't put a finger on it. Yeah, I think some of it was usage. I mean, quite yeah. frankly, just not taking shots, not driving to the rim as frequently. Um, I thought he was a little bit hesitant. And, and he never really got out in transition. No, um, neither did the Jazz, by the way. The Jazz had five total transition attempts wow. last night, which I believe they got 34 defensive rebounds and forced 10 turnovers. So that's 44 opportunities where the other team did not score a basket. And you can get potentially get out and run. Of course, not all of those are going to be realistic opportunities. But to make five of those 44 plays into transition chances, one of which scored points. Ugh. Ooh, and there were at least five or six other times when they passed up a clear attempt. That's yeah. I think that's going to be another big issue for the Jazz. We've talked about it a million times. It, it, those You absolutely need those easy points when you're a team like this that, that bogs down sometimes offensively. There was one possession I can remember specifically where it, it was one of those five. Ingles ended up with a three-point attempt that did not go in. It was after Hayward just pulled out of a three-on-two with no other guys close. Mm-hmm. You have to take that opportunity and go to the rim or pass it to a guy who's going to the rim every single time, 100% of the time. If you have three guys and they have two in the vicinity, that's just it. There's nothing else to it. You yeah. have to take those free points. Like an open, it was a semi-open three-pointer for Ingles who was trailing. That's all right, I guess. But you need to take a layup at the at the rim. Uh, it, you th- you think? I mean, I'm I'm okay with taking a a Puget there, the the pull-up jumper in transition. Um, well, but it was more. It was more. You'd have to watch the play, but it was more. Hayward had the ball. Was was bringing it up, thought about going into it, stopped, pulled back, waited oh, for Jingles to trail, the and, then, pa- and okay. then passed it. Yeah, which I was, I like almost yelled. I shouldn't have done <laughs> that, but it was b- because the, those po- those things have to be massive points of emphasis. Let's think. Let's talk about something positive for yeah. a second, which is the play of Derek Favors. So uh, twenty six points last night on fifteen shots, six rebounds, uh, one assist, two turnovers. Just played excellently. D- dominated the the smaller Pistons defenders that they played against him on in the four position, and with I think. One or two exceptions did really well on a guy like in Ersan Ilyasova, who's the type that is that's a big test for favors all year. Can he guard those yeah. guys that space out to three? Missed him a couple of times. Generally, I thought he did well. He got switched onto a guard. He blocked uh, Reggie Jackson mm-hmm. that one time. And his in between game offensively, favors just looks fantastic. Yeah, I, I thought he struggled on Ilyasova early and yeah. then tightened it up through throughout the game. Yep. Yeah, I really love the way he look. He he's becoming one of those guys who it's and I we had a, a recap from Clint Johnson, which you should read by the way on Salt City Hoops, wondering why the Jazz didn't get the ball to him a little bit more in that fourth quarter. And I have to agree. Yeah, I, he had only one shot attempt in that I think fourth so. quarter, and they 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 started to struggle just to get the ball into him, which has been an issue for the Jazz going back a little while. Is post entry mm-hmm. that's another thing for Coach Snyder to be working with them on. Do you think they should be trying to enter it into the post for, to Derek Favors? I mean, last night in matchups like that, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and when it's not, you should be involving him in his, in as much pick and roll and two man action as you can because he's he's showing us pretty clearly when he gets that ball in that paint area, he's a threat yeah. almost no matter what. He because he he was hitting those little floater type in between stuff all night last night.
Uh, agreed. Um, I, I'm excited for how he plays tomorrow against the Sixers because uh, they have two big men yep. uh, at the four and five positions. It's a much different matchup than it was uh, against the Pistons last night. Yeah. Um, other quick notes before we take a break. Uh, Trey Lyles struggled, was minus 15 and only eight minutes of play. Trevor Booker's suspension really hurt the Jazz it last did. night. I think they probably win that game if probably. Trevor Booker's not suspended. Yeah, probably. Um, so, you know, we talk about how it was fun to hit Hibbert in the face, but may have caused the Jazz a win. A loss. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and one other note that we haven't talked about yet is kind of the offensive rebounding. The Jazz only had four offensive rebounds. That's been a, a struggle for them during the preseason, which was surprising because they were the number one offensive rebounding team last season. I thought the Pistons mostly just did a great job in getting three or four guys to, to really get that defensive yep. rebound. But they're not yeah, – basically, I, I don't know if it's a scouting thing or if it's the Jazz can't sneak up on teams anymore. I think it's a bit of both. I th- well, I think those are kind of the same thing. Yeah, teams okay. Have, so. Teams have, at this point, especially as far as Rudy Gobert goes, teams are realizing, listen, if he's not within like four feet of the bucket – all you're doing is boxing him out. Even if they haven't shot yet, mm. you're preparing to box him out because that's his whole offensive value once they've shot is that he's going to try and get the rebound. That's a good point. Um, I, I had anticipated that this might be a bit of an issue for them this year, and I think it's going to be. I think they're still going to be good at it but because Favors and Gobert are very big guys, but they, it's going to be tough. Teams are going to be prepared. Yeah, I agreed. Um, they'll have to find other ways to be successful on offense besides that, I, I think. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about our NBA season predictions. Who's going to be making the playoffs from both conferences? Who's not making the playoffs? Most valuable player, uh, most improved player will go all down the line in terms of awards. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show. You're listening to it on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett joining you. As always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. We had a great call from Riley last segment. You can always call us, too, at 877-353-0700. But let's get right into the uh, NBA predictions for this upcoming, the 2015-16 season. Let's start with the award winners. Ben, who do you got for MVP? I got Kevin Durant. And uh, by the way, a little plug. Did a piece on this today over at Basketball Insiders. All the awards. I cool. I picked all the awards. I have uh yeah, I have Kevin Durant. I think he's on a mission. I think we forget really quickly that the last time he was fully healthy for an entire season, he put up a combination of uh volume and efficiency that's basically never been touched before in this league, which is uh pretty impressive. Um yeah. I I just think I think Billy Donovan's gonna open things up a little bit for that offense and get make him just even a little bit more efficient potentially. Who do you have? Uh, I have LeBron James, and I know this offends you, but... um, I love LeBron. He's my favorite player of all time. That's (laughs) true. I I have... I think people underestimate how good LeBron James still is, and there's still kind of this... He he takes time to be part of a unit, and I think we learned that in Miami. Uh, But he's still a four-time MVP. Um, let's, Let's put it this way. Four of the last six times LeBron was healthy, he won MVP. That's true. So, you know, I just don't, I just think he's at a point in his career where he's not going to be quite the volume guy that we saw him as earlier. Very possibly. But if he puts up, you know, 23, 8 and 8 or something like that, I don't know. I don't even think he's going to put that up to be honest. No, I think he probably won't. But if we're going to see more games like last night's game where he pretty much just takes a back seat, they run through Love or Kyrie, and they're good enough to beat most teams doing that anyway. Maybe, yeah. Uh, 
I think ultimately LeBron will be LeBron, and people will see. It. I mean, it's not a crazy pick. Certainly, it's he's not the favorite. And, you know, you. I think he actually was the Vegas favorite. Oh, was he? If I'm not mistaken. But again, we have to remind people: Vegas makes those odds based on who they think, based on they want to get even bets on all sides if possible. Right. So they think they're probably going to get lots of betting on LeBron, so they make him the favorite. Even if I bet you their odds makers probably would have Durant as the actual favorite, or, hmm. maybe, or maybe Curry. Uh, rookie of the year. I have uh, Mario Hazonia, which was a bit of a. I really think it may actually be Moutier because I think Moutier is just going to see so much more time. Well, He's going to start for them. But I, I, I don't know. I wanted to have some fun with it. Everybody was picking yeah. Moutier. I went with Hazonia. He's going to be so much fun. They, Scott Skiles said he almost started him in their first game to mm-hmm. open. I bet you he starts with by December. Uh, he's I think he's better than Evan Fournier already, probably, yeah. or, or close. Maybe. He he's so much fun. He's and I just think he's one of those guys. You know that award in particular. Rookies' numbers can w- vary pretty wildly. I think a rookie who doesn't have objectively the best numbers can win that award just based on the narrative and all those things. And I picked Azonia for that reason because I think he's absolutely one of those guys that could kind of kind of come up in that in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I went with Moutier for the reasons you said. He's going to get a lot of playing time with Denver um, and has looked good in preseason and summer league. I think Towns is an underrated pick too, by the way. Not enough people are picking him. Okay. Um, Defense player of the year. We have the same guy here, Anthony Davis. Yeah. A big part of my rationale for this actually is that I think he's going to be the guy who really deserves MVP at the end of the year, but they're going to finish like seventh or sixth. And that's not, or maybe even eighth, and that's not going to be enough for him to get MVP. And while they shouldn't do this, voters are going to get, are you know, going to think, oh well, we got to give him something. He's been incredible. He's going to be very, very good defensively. He's, I'm not going to say he's not deserving to win the Defensive Player of the Year award, but I think he's going to get that little extra, extra boost from that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he'll probably just be the best defensive player in the. In, in he the might league. be. That could happen too. Well, I, I, <laughs> like, sh- I think that's probably that most likely. Yeah. Um, Coach of the year. I have Billy Donovan. Uh, I think he's going to be – half that's because I didn't want to be a homer and pick Quinn Snyder. I think yeah. he, I think Quinn has a real shot if the Jazz finish anything better than eighth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the Thunder are going to have the best record in the West. We'll get to that in a second. And I think that it's going to be a, a Steve Kerr-esque situation uh, from with Golden State last year. And the only reason Kerr didn't win is because a different team outdid their win projection by 20 in the other conference. And I don't right. necessarily think anybody's doing that this year. See, and I have seen, I haven't seen enough from Billy Donovan's offense so far. Like I, I think it's been a lot of individual brilliance, but I, I think our guy B-ball breakdown coach, Nick um, pointed out some points where Oklahoma city's offense is still not as, as flowing as, as it needs to be. Right. Um, certainly not anything like Steve Kerr's with golden state last year. Okay. I, I think those are two different situations. I went with Alvin Gentry, um, new coach coming in into new Orleans. I think they're going to take a win leap if only because of injury. And, um, you know, that's usually the guy who gets coach of the year. Injury might hold them back from taking a win leap, actually. Yeah, no, that's very possible, too. Um, He's a good pick. I love I'm a big Alvin guy. I have that. I picked them to finish sixth uh, ahead of the Jazz in Memphis. You keep you keep scooping yourself. Sorry. (laughs) No, we're fine. Uh, Sixth man of the year. Uh, who did I pick? For? Oh, Isaiah Thomas. We both we both have Isaiah yeah. Thomas, right? I think he's honestly a pretty huge favorite to win this award. I, I do too. I think he's just the best six man in the league. I mean, yeah. you, you look at all these kind of guys who like Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams. Uh, Isaiah Thomas is a better player than those guys. Yeah, the main guys who you used to think of, Manu Ginobili would also be in there. Those guys aren't mm-hmm. winning it anymore. Um, yeah, I think Cro- I think excuse me, not Crawford. Thomas is a, is a gigantic favorite. He's perfect for the Celtics off the bench. Yeah, most improved player. I went with Bradley Beal, and I was honestly going back and forth between two Wizards players and kind of wish I had picked the other one, which would have been Otto Porter. Uh, 
That I could see more than Beal. I think Beal is too good right now. I do. That's that's the issue that I think I've come to. I mean, he's had a below average PER every year in the, yeah. in the league. I don't know if you knew that. He, he's. I, I, I do. I wish I had gone with Porter in the end or CJ McCollum, who I said all summer yeah. I was going to go with and then pivoted away, and then he had 40 or whatever he had last night. You, huge uh, mistake. Yeah, I should have gone with McCollum. I wanted to do it. I think those are all good candidates. Who'd you go with? You're, you're right. The Beal... Uh, I, I, I think has had a, he's had the below average PR, but I don't think voters see it that way. I think they right. see his playoff performances first. Probably. Um, I actually went with Rodney Hood. I think Rodney hey. Hood gets you know significant minutes with the Jazz starting lineup, yeah. and uh, you know if he makes threes last night, he's a fifteen point game a guy. Huh? That's I don't right? mind like, that at all. I, I, you don't think so? Or no, no, I don't mind oh, that you don't at mind all. It. I th- okay. I, Hood would have been on my short list of guys that I would have picked. Again, I just don't. I hate seeming like too much of a homer when I write national I, stuff. And, and that's totally fine. But uh, you know, last night he was zero for seven from the three point line and still scored twelve points. Yeah, he hits three of those. Oh, you're talking about a whole different ball game for both the Jazz and for him, right? Um, which there will be a lot of times this year where he, he hits three of those seven. Yeah, I mean, he's shown an ability to score. It's weird the second year guys can win this award, but they can, and so I think Hood Hood may. All right, so let's do quickly do the standings, and then we'll do our picks for the title after cool. that. Yep. So I, in the East, I have Cleveland winning, Washington second, Chicago third, Atlanta fourth, then Miami, Boston, Toronto, and Detroit to round out the playoff picture, meaning I have Indiana and Milwaukee missing the playoffs. Um, Milwaukee vindicated that pick in, in, on their one-game sample size from last night, and they got uh, blown out by the Knicks. The Knicks oh, look fun. Know. I don't think fun enough to make the playoffs, but they still look fun. Although I believe they're losing tonight, right? Yeah, um, they're playing Atlanta, though. Okay, but Detroit beat Atlanta. Yeah, that's true, too. And then in the know. West, it's I have... Oh, sorry. It's still early. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah, it's still super early. One-game sample size. Uh, I have OKC with the best regular season record in the West, then Golden State, San Antonio, Houston. I did not go with the trendy pick of taking Houston over San Antonio. I didn't go with it. And yeah, they've I... indicated me, too, in the one-game sample size, getting beat by 20 at home by Denver. Right. Uh, then I have Houston 5th, Clippers 6th, New Orleans... Or, well, excuse me, uh, Houston 4th. Clippers 5th, New Orleans 6th, Memphis 7th, and the Jazz 8th. So two issues I have. I'll start with your Western Conference standings. First of all, that the Clippers are 5th is kind of crazy, right? Like, this is an incredibly tough Western Conference. I mean, and it was last year, too. But you just look at Clippers have added a lot of depth to the roster. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no doubt that GM Doc Rivers didn't screw Coach Doc Rivers over this year. Hooray. Yeah. Um, but still, I, I think San Antonio is being slept on a little bit. Um, yes, they have point guard issues with Tony Parker's decline, but still, I mean, that, that team's got a lot going on. Um, Golden State, uh, I still take them number one in the West just because I, I don't see a huge reason for them to decline. Um, you know, they have all the same players. Luke Walton's your coach instead of Steve Kerr, but it's not like these guys have forgotten how to play. No, and Kerr will be back soon. I just think that I actually think OKC is a threat to like win as many games as, as Golden State did last year, for instance. See, and I, I just don't see that on like an Ennis Cantor roster. Nah, there's a lot, a lot of other guys on that roster sure, besides Cantor. <laughs> you're starting Andre Robertson and, and Steven Adams. I don't know. Did we have any of this? Any? I think we picked all of the same eight for the playoffs in both conferences, right? Uh, yeah, we I, did. I, I picked. We both I, had no, Milwaukee picked, and Indiana out of the. Oh no, you had Milwaukee eighth. You had Detroit eighth. I had right. Detroit in. You had Milwaukee in instead. I feel all right mm. about my pick on that so far. See, and I don't see any way. How does Detroit win forty games? I don't know. Like I, think I, they, I think they know exactly what they are. Sure, and they have a know really exactly what they are, but like. I don't. How do they? KCP do they do? is playing really well. Drummond looks good. Reggie Jackson's good for that system. Ilyasova fits with what they're doing. I like their pieces. I th- I honestly, I'm almost a little frustrated. I didn't pick them higher than eighth. 
I think really? they look really good. And the last time we saw Stan Van Gundy with a team like this, he turned one dominant center and a bunch of guys who could do a couple things well into a, a, a finals team. Okay, but that dominant center was Dwight Howard, who was the second best player in the year in the league that year, and not Andre Drummond, who is not at that. Also, make the argument that they've already got a better supporting cast than those guys did, or at least I for the, mo- so for at the modern no. game. No, and for the, no. You're saying that the current Detroit Richard, Pistons Richard supporting Lewis, cast, Richard Lewis, is, uh, is great. Was great, and he is better, better than, than anyone else. on the Pistons roster. But who else? Hito uh, Turkoglu was good. Jameer Nelson was good year. for that year. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, that's we could we could pick nits there. Brian I, I Anderson like, is better than anyone on the Pistons. I like the Detroit. This is one we'll track. This you've got crazy. You got, you got Milwaukee the rest of the year. I got Detroit, so we're uh, we're, we're right. tracking that one up. All right, quickly the fine the you want to go first? I think we picked the exact same thing. In both in both conferences, yeah, if I'm not that's no. Actually, I picked San Antonio to go to the Western Conference Finals. Oh, okay. But other than that, we have the same finals prediction. We we have a, a rematch of the finals, and both have we both have Golden State winning that rematch against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yep. Uh, and then in the Western Conference, I have Golden State beating San Antonio in the West. You have Cleveland and Washington in the East. As do I. Cleveland eventually beating Washington in the finals. Yeah, and I have OKC being the team that loses to Golden State in mm-hmm. the Western Conference. I am so excited for that Western Conference Finals yep. if that happens. I I just think that the optimism with OKC is a little bit premature. Uh, and, you know, they Fair. looked good playing the Jazz in preseason and looked good in the preseason period. And they do have phenomenal talent. I. I I worry about defense with them, quite frankly. I understand why you're reticent. I okay. just think that that talent is going to overwhelm. Yeah, I, I just so many teams in the Western Conference have so much talent, though, you know? Yeah, that's it, true. It's hard. Um, I, would, I also want to point out that um, I, I have Milwaukee as the eighth seed, and I think people have slept on them because they got overrated for a little bit, and then now they're kind of under it. Like, yeah. they still got better this offseason and were a playoff team last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, the problem for in that situation is that I think that that back part of the East also everybody else got better too. Also, I think you're crazy for picking Memphis to go below the Pelicans. I do not think N- I not am. crazy, I guess, but like Memphis is still. I, I still you still think that there's a possibility that Memphis slides out of the playoffs. I really think there is, and I, Although, just, I don't see it at all. Now that I watched, now that uh, that would require Phoenix also being good, and I'm not 100 percent sure that Phoenix can be good. Uh, I, I really think there's a – did you watch Memphis against Cleveland? I know one game, I know, but did you, did you watch them? Yeah, well, okay, I didn't watch the entire game. but They I, were hopeless. Holy crap, they could barely dribble a basketball. I really think there's a <laughs> point at which the style those guys play, which this could become a concern down the line for the Jazz too, the style which those guys out. play just becomes really, really – it becomes a big load, and it just it, becomes hard to maintain. If that's a problem for how Men- Memphis will play, they it's a huge problem for how the Jazz yeah, will play. No, the, I'm worried because Memphis it. should be able to, you know, play that style a lot better than the Jazz will. I'm worried about that potential down the road. Honestly, for now though, the Jazz are young enough that it shouldn't be a concern. But if you're if you're going to pick Memphis in the playoffs, and t- to your credit, you did. If, yeah. Then I think, or sorry, if you're going to pick the Jazz in the playoffs, I think you have to pick Memphis in the playoffs too. Right. Yeah, and I did. Um, you did, and I'm I'm kind of being unfair. Anything I was crazy about, by the way. I don't, not, no, not okay. too much. I, I feel like I was just attacking you, so I felt bad. No, no, I, uh, I know I like your West. I, uh, besides, Mo- and I don't think saying Milwaukee's crazy. Like, I disagree, but I don't think it's the least bit crazy to think that they make it. We both might be crazy to keep Indiana out of the playoffs. Who knows? Although they haven't looked, they've looked okay so far, not wonderful. I just don't see the supporting cast around Paul George. Yeah, and even he has been, I mean, he got a technical tonight within the first minute of that <laughs> game. I was watching it for a second. 
We should probably take a break. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking more about the, the Trey Burke, Benji Burke thing that happened last night, the role of family and players on social media. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett on the other side. We run SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Uh, first of all, uh, as always, you can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben underscore Dowsett, if you want to talk to us during the show. Um, and with regards to Twitter, we kind of talked about it earlier in the show, but I want to bring it up again, uh, mostly because we had it planned. <laughs> yeah. uh, Trey Burke played poorly last night. I put up some lowlights of him playing poorly defensively. Benji, who was Trey Burke's dad and agent, responded to me on Twitter kind of saying that that was an unfair thing to do. That's a nice way of putting what he said, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Was it? Was it what? Was it unfair? Am I Am I? That was going to be my, like... my, no, my question was going to be not about last night because I think last night was clearly fair. My question was going to be in general. Are we too hard? We're trying to take a self-evaluation, and I'm really legitimately just pretty much talking about you and me. Oh, okay. Are we, especially you, because you, for whatever reason, you seem to be the one that gets the brunt of the, the anger, is it, are, are we too hard on Trey Burke? Um, I, I think maybe I am. And the only reason I think that is because, like, confirmation bias is a thing. And so what yeah. happens, I think, is that I look at these stats about Trey Burke. And, you know, we, we've said some of them in the show in the past, which is, uh, you know, for example, Trey Burke had the worst shooting percentage of any player who took more than 1,000 shots in the last 50 years of NBA action yeah. since 1964. Uh, you look at the defensive statistics for Burke, and they're not good. He's, his defensive RPM last year was negative 2.5. So as, as a statistician, but also kind of a, a student of the game, I look at those stats and try to figure out, okay, What's Burke doing? You know, it, are these stats real or are they not? And then when I watch the game, I see evidence that backs up those statistics. Yeah. And I see why, you know, Trey Burke deserves criticism. And, and so I, I post it. Now, I think Trey Burke's play has meant that that has happened way more often with Trey Burke than it has for other jazz players. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to not have that happen i guess i guess that's how i defend myself like i'm i'm worried that that's the case that i'm being unfair about trey burke but i don't think i am i that's kind of where i'm at as well and i you know i haven't had an an interaction with either trey or with with one of his parents on twitter my my next question that i wanted to ask and i i want to approach this respectfully because again every person isn't completely entitled to their opinion and that includes people who play in the NBA fathers and mothers of people who play in the NBA mm-hmm. and that's that's what Twitter is Twitter is the the thing that allows everyone to to show their opinions yeah that said is that do you do you find the Burke family in general meaning, meaning Trey and his and his parents do you find their behavior on Twitter inappropriate Given the the standing that Trey has as an NBA player, and especially no. and given the, the the follow to that, I think is given the fact that Trey, outside of that, never appears like that kind of a guy at all. We've talked about this a million times. He's probably the best quote in that locker room. He's mm-hmm. insanely mature, insanely self aware. He's accepted ever the, the the move to the bench. He's completely accepted it. He's honestly he's a, he's a he's a role model in that sense. Yeah, uh, for sure. And that's what makes it. I mean, that gives me 
pause and, and makes me want to give a lot of leeway to yeah. both him and his family. And honestly, you know, we complain when guys aren't that way, when they don't say anything interesting on social media. And now these and now, you know, Trey and his family do say interesting things. I like the Burks being involved. Do, do you like Should him being I, like, involved in the specific ways that they've been involved, though, is the, I think is the, is the question. with the, You know, it, it, it tends to come out kind of negatively. Yeah, like, uh, I I would prefer them not call me a-holes. <laughs> but, like, uh, ultimately, they get to if they want. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I would, again, I would prefer they be involved in the way that they're involved and not at all. Interesting. Maybe That's... not from a front office perspective. Like, if I ran the Utah Jazz, no, that was gonna I, be know, my I next want them question. to be quiet. But... You know, as as humans, as Americans, I think they have free speech that they should be able to to say what they want if they want to. Absolutely, and I, I again, from that standpoint, I one hundred percent agree. It's just I do think that there is a there is a different standard when you're a you know. There we had the issue over the summer where it was Trey himself that you, that you were talking with, and that was I my my point to you there was that you're. Yes, Trey, we are thinking about you every day and, and, right. and writing stuff about you because that's our jobs. And because do, uh, and in some way, us doing that allows you to make millions of dollars by playing a game. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt that. And I, I, I don't think it's the right thing to do for, say, Trey Burke's career. And it's not like a smart thing to do, right? Like, right. you know, we've had conversations about how we represent the Salt City Hoops brand on Twitter uh-huh. and, you know, how it's important to stay within brand as, as kind of being friendly to fans, friendly to those who give our opinions and, and so on and so forth. And, and that it hurts the brand when we don't do that. That. And I think it's hurting Trey Burke that his parents are, are doing this. I, I, you know, I, I don't think there's any question. In this example, but, in this metaphor of you and me, I'm Trey Burke's parents. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I, but you've, you know, you haven't ever called me an a-hole or whatever, right? Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think you're fine, but it's just that from a leadership perspective, I would prefer that people are nice all the time, that there aren't any of these sorts of controversies on social media. Yeah. No problem with the parents caring in general, though. That's great. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got our featured guest of tonight's program, Seth Partnow. He's managing editor of Nylon Calculus, the premier basketball stats blog on the internet. You're listening to us on Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. Ben Dowsett, associate editor, joins me. I'm also the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. And we've got Seth Partnow joining us, who's the managing editor of nylonkalculus.com. A whole bunch of names and titles we just threw at you. But let's get Seth on because I'm excited to have him on. It's been a while since we had him on the show. He's a great basketball follow if you guys don't follow him on Twitter or, or read his work at Nylon Calculus. Seth, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, first of all, let's let's start off with you giving us your plug. Where's What's Nylon Calculus? Who are you? What is it that you do? And what are you working on this season? Uh, so nylon calculus is uh, hardwood paroxysm is a, a longstanding uh, NBA blog, and before last season, it uh, sort of uh, I don't want to say splintered, but expanded into a, a, a basketball blogging network. And nylon calculus is kind of the metrics and analytics arm of that, and, and there we uh, um, try to break down the game uh, from a numbers perspective, everything from you know. Uh, serious kind of plus-minus uh, related analysis of players and team projections and stuff like that to kind of um, 
some, uh, I don't want to say sillier, but, you know, some of the more fun stuff like, uh, you know, the historical leaders on, on winning jump balls and, yeah, yeah. and who, who have been the best players of all time in terms of, of hitting uh, end of quarter heaves and stuff like that. So, and, and everything in between just to try to uh, in, enhance people's understanding of the game through, through uh, statistics and numbers. I read that. That was Matt Femright that wrote that, I believe. Yes. And I uh, I read that and have now been advocating for Derek Favors to take tips for the Jazz ever since then because he's at like 57% or something, which is actually pretty good. It's it's not quite uh, it's not quite Shaq who is who's yeah. legendary at, at, at winning the jump ball apparently, but uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so using some of these numbers, you had some predictions, which I, I don't know if you – posted them anywhere besides just on Twitter, but Twitter is the most official thing in the world, as we all know. So those are your official <laughs> predictions that we're holding you to. And in those, yes. you were as optimistic as basically anyone I've seen about the Jazz. You picked them to finish sixth in the West. Tell me why. Um, I think that's less about being optimistic about the Jazz than being pessimistic about the Pelicans and Grizzlies. Uh, the Pelicans, I think it's it's more uh, having the benefit of not making predictions until the night before the season started. I could kind of see that uh, the, the state of their roster, as we've kind of seen to start the season, they just don't have enough, especially in the backcourt, they don't have enough um, NBA-level talent to, to really to put up enough of a fight against you know, the, the, the tough schedule they're playing. And the Grizzlies... Um, just kind of seems like the the it might be the end for right? for, for them. Andy and I just had an up. argument about this before on the last segment before you came on. I I I really think I might agree with you that the, the style they play is just so wearing over the years, is it not? Uh it's not just the style, it's it's you know they they've had it their team that's that hasn't had much of a margin for error and you know like Zach Randolph doesn't have to get that much worse to to no longer be an effective player and, and uh, can, can Brandon Wright give them an, enough minutes to make up for the fact that they can't really count on, on, you know, 80, 80 minutes a night total from Gasol and Randolph. And, and there's still the, the Jeff Green factor who's, who's uh, polarizing the entire internet as we speak. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <so> let, <laughs> the, uh, the, the topic of Jeff Green always uh, kind of lights a fire amongst the, uh, uh, supporters of whatever team he happens to be playing for. Yeah. Um, but that said, I, you know, I am, am not unoptimistic about, I, I was, there was no point this year where I wasn't going to be picking the jazz to make the playoffs. Um, and just, I just was thinking that with those two teams falling down a little bit, I think uh, the jazz will sort of leapfrog them. So what what do you see uh, you know what do you see in terms of a win total in terms of how good their defense and offense will be rankings wise in the league you know what do you kind of look into your crystal ball a little bit and and what do you see for the Jazz? Uh, the defense is going to I think continue to be stellar. I mean uh, I think you saw it yesterday against Detroit um, when, with with Gobert patrolling the paint it's uh, it's it's kind of a nun shall pass zone. Um, one of the the stats we we keep at Nylon Calculus is is a, a metric of rim protection, and Gobert was the uh, excuse me the league leader last year. And uh, as as I'm sure that fans of the Jazz um, will know, it was something of a dichotomy between him and, and Ennis Cantor. Um, uh, the, the, they were basically the, the top and bottom amongst uh, centers in, yeah. in in that metric. And, it's, and uh, Favors was really team. high too, right? 
Yeah, Favors is excellent as a power forward there too. So, and then I think they've got really solid defense on the wings, and I think uh, uh, Snyder has coached them up well on that on that front. So they're going to be really tough to score on. Um, the question of how they do on offense um, is worrisome, um, and that's you know it's the kind of the best defense and a slightly below average offense probably gets you to. 44, 45 wins, uh, give or take, and that's kind of about where I think they're going to end up, kind of okay. in that that mid that mid to maybe high 40s range. So what what can the Jazz do differently, if anything, on offense to kind of juice things up and maybe hope to get to average or maybe even slightly above average on offense? I think we we were talking about this uh, a little earlier today uh, online, and I think. Part of it is they, they do waste a little bit of time on offense. It, it seems um, their offense seems almost a little bit college in that uh, there's a lot of kind of, of uh, uh, the ball rotating a, a lot around the, the top of the key area without anything really threatening ever being created. And all of a sudden there's 12 seconds on the shot clock and nothing's really happened yet. And, you know, in a 35, now 30-second shot clock, maybe you can do that just to kind of control the pace of the game with a 24 second shot clock, all of a sudden you're putting yourself up against it every possession. So maybe just some kind of, uh, you know, if, you're, if, if I think your point was, if you want, you know, Gordon Hayward to get the ball on the left wing to start the possession, just throw him the ball on the left wing and start the possession mm-hmm. instead of, you know, running a bunch of, 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 of kind of quote misdirection. That's not fooling anybody. Ben so was really excited thing. to ask you about that because we talked about that earlier, and so you that he prepped you for this question is no surprise to me. <laughs> well, well, we were arguing no, that I, basically, I, I I feel that those actions do help the Jazz's then secondary action, where you know having a, a pin down screen for the guy who for say Gordon Hayward who comes up and then has a pick and roll run for him makes that pick and roll more likely to succeed. I you know I I don't disagree with that. I think that you can go too far with that. I mean okay. you can. You can you can do some kind of quick misdirection, and 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 you know uh, still have have that that action not just being a straight isolation or something like that, but it doesn't need to take ten seconds to get into it, and that's and and all that preparatory work it just seems like it's it's just burning time, and when you actually you know see them get into their stuff it's 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 just late. Yeah. And the yeah. other the other part is um, and this is you know, no news to you guys, I think, is the problems at whether you call it point guard, primary ball handler, or whatever, um, just getting that initial crease in the defense uh, from which anyone else can attack is just going to be a struggle for them this yeah. year. Um, none, neither, I don't think, Trey Burke or uh, Howell, am I pronouncing yep. that right now? Yeah. Uh, Ned, uh, the, the Wolfman, neither of them seem um, really able to consistently – kind of get by their guy, not even by their guy, but kind of get shoulder even with their guy to, to draw, uh, you know, that an extra defender to help mm-hmm. to give the next person in the chain kind of an, an easier uh, opportunity to, to attack off the dribble or something like that. So it's a, uh, you just end up with a lot of situations where, okay, our first couple things don't work. Uh, Gordon Hayward do something cool. Yeah. And, you know, and he can do that. It's just, that's not how you build an efficient offense. 
Right. I, I think I would. Agree. And you said that the the way you said ecology with the with the timing on the. I wish I had thought of that earlier because that's a, that's the that's sort of how I was trying to describe it. I agree with Andy that the, the it can be those actions can be good, but the 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 tempo and the force of it needs to be quicker. Uh, r- real quick, Seth, the prediction of the Jazz sixth in the West was not the only favorable prediction that you made regarding the Jazz. You also picked Quinn Snyder for Coach of the Year. And you also picked Rudy Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year. I think the second of those is not a reach by any stretch. In fact, he might be the, the consensus favorite at this point or one of them. But I, I was intrigued by you picking Snyder to win Coach of the Year. Is that mostly because if the Jazz finish in a place like sixth, you think they have to be considered for that, given where they were expected to be earlier in the year? Um, that's some of it. I think also part of it is um, those are kind of predictions of who will win, not necessarily who is deserving. Right. Um, and I think that 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 Snyder is uh, he's kind of he he's a new face, and he is, for lack of a better term, he's very coachy. Um, and I don't necessarily know how to it, 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 when people get an idea of in their head what a coach is supposed to sound like. Like those are kind of the sound bites you get from him, and that's not yeah. a knock on him. It's just. Um, it, 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 uh, you know, we saw it a little bit this summer where people went crazy with the Pelicans hiring Alvin Gentry because of kind of the, 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 the sound bites he gives. And, and he's by all accounts, an extremely you know nice man, good basketball mind. But you compare that with Scott Scowls in Orlando, who has kind of every bit, the track record of turning kind of young teams around. And it was met with kind of silence because he's sort of taciturn and, and yeah. and I think uh, so, but I think that 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 Snyder's kind of uh, I don't want to say media savvy because it makes it sound like he's a salesman, but I think that will help him uh, in terms of of the voting if if the Jazz do as well record wise as I think they're going to do. That makes sense. Did you did you get a what, chance to watch last night's game, uh, Jazz Pistons? I did. What were some of your impressions from from last night's play? Um, well, I, you know, I, honestly, I took more away from the, the Pistons. Hmm. Um, there, I, I, uh, I wasn't uh, especially big on them coming into the year, and um, especially their wing play in, through two games has been uh, far better than I expected it to be. KCP so looks it. good. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a he's a guy who who kind of um, stood around and didn't do much much of his first two years, and. Now he's you know he's putting the ball on the floor. He's getting to the basket. He's he's making he's he's shooting from range with confidence. Um, I remember when he was a uh, when he was a rookie, like the NBA three looked. He's one of those guys where the NBA three looked that just that half step out of his comfortable range, and now he's you know comfortably shooting from from uh, you know half half step full step behind the line. So that's just a, a uh, another reminder that 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 guys get better once they get to the NBA. Yeah. That happens, yeah. So let's all right. Let's pivot a little bit to some more general NBA stuff and some stuff that's definitely super up your alley. Uh, within the last, I want to say, two weeks, right? Um, SportView and well, more specifically, NBA.com, who houses the publicly available SportView data, they've released some new stuff as they do around this time every year, and it's a very exciting time for people like ourselves. What do you want to just give us a couple of first? Give us a rundown of what they introduced, and then tell us just a couple of your your favorite things there that they've introduced that we didn't have before. Sure. So for those who who don't know, uh, SportView is a system in every NBA arena where they have six uh, very high tech cameras in the rafters that record uh, twenty five times per second the precise precision of uh, the precise location of all ten players and the ball. Uh, and so that allows uh, 
literal rocket scientists to kind of uh, pick out things from these series of moving dots to see what, what's happened on the floor. Um, and that's, um, for any number of reasons, that's, that's uh, uh, presents some pretty amazing opportunities for finding out what's happened in the game beyond just the box score stats. So uh, they've, they've had this information publicly, some of it publicly. Um, all of it is actually a fairly massive amount of data, but some of it publicly for the last couple of years. And basically they've just added a lot of refinements. Um, so it, it seems like a trivial thing, but for the first time this year, you can actually drill into kind of the individual game. So you can see, you know, how many times Gordon Hayward passed the ball in any game over the last three years. And not only how many times he passed it, but how many times he passed to each player. Now that that is is not necessarily an example that's going to tell you a whole lot, but that's an example of the level of detail you can now see about the NBA game from you know the, the past two seasons to the current one. So that's um, and the other part of your question is was some of the new stuff they have this year and just kind of what your what your some of your favorite. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be new stuff if we haven't discussed it on the program before. Just some of what you think, because you, like you say, we can only gain so much usefulness from, you know, Gordon Hayward passed to Rodney Hood 12 times right. last night. But there is a lot of stuff in there that we can gain an enormous amount of usefulness from. What would a couple of those examples be? Uh, I think one of, the, 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 one of the, the more interesting things on the new stuff especially is they've, so they have I mean, uh, the number of times a player drives the ball to the, towards the basket per game, and they've actually have it broken down by the times they pass, the times they shoot, the times they get fouled, and the times they turn it over. And that actually says some very interesting things about, you know, the way Derrick Rose plays point guard versus the way Chris Paul plays point guard or something like that. Um, uh, a stat that I noticed through the season is, is Rose has driven 21 times uh, so far this season. He's shot or got fouled on 20 of them, hmm. um, which uh, – in, in uh, uh, which is in line with his past performance, but that's still, you know, a guy like Chris Paul is, is I don't have his exact ratio in front of me, but is um, far, far more likely to, to look to pass when he drives the ball than, uh, than, than Rose is. And so just, uh, it's a statistical language to describe things that are happening on, happening on the court. And that's, you know, that's enormously useful. For, you, can, you can see instantly, right, how that's useful for a, for a team that's trying to play against those players. Okay, we know when Derrick Rose drives, there is a very low chance that he's ever passing the ball. So go ahead and load up on him. That's that You can see the tangible usefulness of that within seconds. Absolutely. And, and, that, and so among the new things, that's, that's certainly uh, probably my favorite tidbit that I'm playing right now, with right now. Um, and then there's been plenty of stuff uh, that I've looked at over the years in terms of, I mentioned earlier, the rim protection, which is also fun. It's too early in the year to really make any, you know, to say anything from that just because, you know, nobody's really defended more than about 15 or 20 shots at the rim, and that's not enough to say anything about really statistically. Um, and then I've, other stuff I'm working on is trying to get a little deeper and, and find out a little bit more about in general. That's kind of a fascinating thing to me. Um, my, my original basketball blog is, was named Where Offense Happens because I, I'm just really interested in kind of the mechanism by which, you know, these players with these mixes of skill actually translate into, you know, these are the shots they get. Well, how'd that happen? And we haven't really been able to describe that before. And that's, so that's something I'm looking at. Uh, I'm interested in looking at. Yeah, have you... Uh... 
Have you looked at whether or not rim protection stats uh, correlate from year to year? Does that question make sense? You know, like, you yeah, know, no. go ahead. Uh, they, you know, we only have two years of full data, so it's okay. tough to really say. Um, but the guys who tended to be good in year one have tended to be good in year two as well. Um, some of the ones who were biggest difference were people who whose roles changed uh, a lot. Um, the one example off the top of my head was, I think, Chris Humphreys was actually pretty decent two years ago in Boston, and then last year was less good in, in um, uh, Washington. I think that was largely because he was used as kind of a small center in Boston and, and used as strictly as a power forward in Washington. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the best guys were your, you know, your uh, Roy Hibberts, your, your Andrew Bogut's, stuff like that. Um, Gobert didn't really play enough his, his first year to, 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 to be noticeable. But, um, right. but the guys who you would kind of expect to be up there are the guys who tend to be uh, near the top. All right. Well, that's, so that's a good – and by the way, guys, for Seth didn't mention right at the start, for those who don't know, this is all available on NBA.com. It's under the two sections. It's under our player movement. Um, movement is it's really fun. You can actually watch a sort of a digital representation of these plays, if you will. Uh, you can watch any play that's been run in the NBA this season in a sort of a digital analog type of style. Real quick, hey, Seth. Not just this season, but the, also the last two seasons as well. Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, so we wanted to just talk super briefly, Seth, so that, you know, the Jazz are a team that within the last, what, half decade, we could say they've gone through a, a rebuild of sorts. They never, I don't think they necessarily ever tore it completely down, except for maybe 13, 14 uh, under Ty Corbin to a point. But they, they definitely underwent a rebuild, and now they're on the upswing of that. The most extreme example of that is the Philadelphia 76ers, which have been a giant hot-button topic on the internet for the last, you know, long time, and especially over the last couple months. There was an article written, uh, I believe, on The Cauldron recently talking about how a lot of people both inside and close to that organization are kind of starting to get sick of it. Uh, There's some question about how they treat players. I I just kind of wanted to touch, what do you think of the largest sort of fundamental differences between the way a team like Utah has handled their rebuild and between a, the way a team like Philly, who has gone completely all out with their rebuild? Oh, I, the question of handling it is, is one thing. I think, for starters, Utah's probably just been a little luckier. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, coming up with, with Rudy Gobert at the back end of the first round, um, that's, that's not a luxury that, that every or most team has teams have i mean you you know you look at a lot of the best teams you look at the the spurs and their ability to to keep going and it's well we got Kawhi leonard in the middle of the first round and so that's whereas philly has you know they've they've in in maybe okafor and i think definitely nerland's noel have come up with some good players near the top of the lottery they haven't quite hit that home run yet so that's you know there's a lot of luck in this you need you need luck to to become a to be especially and in a team that's not necessarily a traditional destination. Um, but the big difference, I think, is I, I'm not one of the people who, who has a moral problem with, with what they've done. I just think that uh, kind of the small moves they've had kind of populating the bottom of their roster with, frankly, sub-NBA players, um, it, it hurts their development of their existing players. But it also, it's, they're, they're not giving themselves enough of a chance to find actual rotation players. And whether or not those guys are going to be around when they're good or not, that's still like a guy you can throw in when the next, I don't know, like the James Harden trade, the next James Harden trade probably isn't happening. But the next trade like that, if you have, you know, 
some decent young players on good contracts uh, that you found, uh, you, you, that, that enables you to make those kind of moves. And they've kind of almost priced themselves out of that by just not really even seeming to care who those guys, you know, those, those seven, eight, nine, ten guys on their roster are. And, yeah. they, you know, Robert, Robert Covington is an NBA player, but that's all they really have to show for, for, you know, gutting the bottom of their roster. At, at some, that's, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I was just going to ask, yeah. does, at some point, does that also become a concern with the, you know, the great players that they do have or the hopefully great players that they do have in, in you know, Noel uh, and Okafor and whoever, Saric, if he comes over, don't you want those guys playing at some point with competent NBA players so that then down the road when they're supposed to be winning, they know what to do? Absolutely. Um, and this is a tough one, especially for someone who's kind of focused on uh, uh, metrics. Because uh, there's, no, there's no real way to measure in terms of a counterfactual. Well, how would this guy have developed if he was playing in this system? We don't know because, you know, every player only has one career. So it's kind of hard to say how he would have done had he. Yeah. But it's, it just seems to me that if you're not, um, not even necessarily inculcating bad habits, but you're not rewarding good habits. The, the, the example of Okafor, all right, what's the best way for him to be an efficient scorer is to get the ball as near to the basket as possible and dunk on somebody. Um, he can, with their backcourt, he can work as hard as he wants and be technically sound and all that. But if they have nobody who can get him the ball in that position and instead he's always catching the ball with his back to the basket at 14 feet, that's not really reinforcing the good habits that would lead him to then when he's playing with a good point guard, uh, that would lead him to, to have those skills already kind of developed. And those are the kind of, and there's, you know, just numerous like uh, micro skills like that, that are just harder to develop in an environment where all five guys are trying to learn how to play NBA basketball at the same time. Yeah, I, I think I'm on the same page with you there. All right, well, Seth, we got to go ahead and take our break on the show. Uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Where can we follow you on Twitter, by the way? Uh, it's at Seth Partnow. Okay, perfect. So Seth Partnow, um, P-A-R-T-N-O-W. Again, thank you so much for joining us. we got to go ahead and take a break on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Coming up next is our favorite segment around the NBA, going the news and notes that have happened in the NBA over the last week. That's next. You're listening to it on Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett here joining you. We got a lot to cover in today's Around the NBA. Let's get started with the tragic note first, so we can yeah. be a little bit lighthearted at the end. Flip Saunders passed away this weekend, 63 years old. No, 60. 60, sorry, thank you. Um, from lymphoma, uh, was Minnesota Timberwolves head coach and general manager. It seemed when we first heard about this with Flip Saunders that he would be okay and then like this disease has a tendency to do it turned for the worse um I I didn't realize before reading everything how important he was to the state of Minnesota oh yeah and, and you know the Timberwolves as a franchise I mean this is a guy who drafted Kevin Garnett um was was kind of an icon in Minnesota I think around the NBA, people were kind of questioning why he had both of those roles, but I, I don't think those same questions were there locally in Minnesota. No, there, he was one of the most beloved figures in, in Minnesota sports in general. Um, and yeah, very, very sad to see it happen. You, you, you figured, like you said, you figured 
Hodgkin's lymphoma actually has a decently high recovery rate from the start mm-hmm. of when it's diagnosed, but then, like you said, sometimes it can just can just go bad. And and condolences to to Flip's family and all those close to him as well. Yeah, NBA coaches will be wearing a lapel pin in uh, Flip's memory throughout the rest of the season. Nice. In better cancerous news, Craig Sager's back with TNT. Yeah. Um, that was a fantastic suit that first night too. Orange, like that bright orange. I would wear that. It wouldn't look good, would, but I would, you wear, would it. wear it. I would wear that suit. I wore an all white tuxedo to my junior prom. <laughs> I would. I would. I, all right, John is clapping in the booth. I, I absolutely did that. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, I, I don't think I would, but I would, <laughs> I would. I would watch you wear an orange or white tuxedo. Whatever. I've never had shame about the stuff I wear. <laughs> Um, but it's good to see Craig Sager yeah, back on the sidelines. Definitely. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha is filing a civil suit against the New York Police Department good. for uh, basically them breaking his leg in the nightclub incident last season that kept him out of the playoffs. He's asking for $50 million in the civil suit. Um, you know, I, I don't think he gets 50 but honestly, he He's has a really money. good case here. He's getting eight figures. There's no because he's an NBA player. The lost income that he lost from that is uh, yeah. a gigantic number, and generally on those sorts of things, it becomes punitive after that. See, and it, yeah, no, totally agree. And you you look at treble damages, but uh, it's weird because the taxpayers end up paying that, right? Yeah, which kind of sucks, right? So like, I, I don't know who to root for here. Like, the people of New York shouldn't should they be responsible for the actions of like yeah. these six awful New York Police Department people? Like, That's a good point. I, I don't know. I he also there's got to be a better way to deal with this sort of thing. I would like, agree. I, I think criminal charges for the police officers involved, you know, for assaulting someone, for breaking someone's leg, I think maybe a better way to go. I don't, I don't know. know it's, that it's I'd a be in favor. Issue. I don't know if I'd be in favor of that either. To be honest, like I think that the officers should be punished and should not have their jobs. But I don't know that. I, and I'm not going to get too into it before I get yelled at by somebody on Twitter for having the wrong opinion about that. But and he also did an article uh, in GQ, which came out today, I mm-hmm. believe. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I've heard some really good. good things. It is good. He, he basically tells the first person story of what happened to him on that night, um, corroborated with the video evidence from multiple angles of, uh, yeah, kind of what happened to him and, and Pero Antich as well as Chris Copeland on, on that night yeah. um, in New York. So that'll be very interesting to see how that turns out in, in this national conversation that we have about overactive policing um, in, in America. Yeah. In other lawsuit news, a Milwaukee Bucks cheerleader is suing the Bucks for not paying her minimum wage during her time as a cheerleader during the 2013-14 season. That's been another kind of human rights issue around the NBA. Um, you know, these a lot of these dance teams are not getting paid minimum wage for the number of hours that they work during the week. Um, and, you know, that seems unfair to me. Like, let's pay them minimum wage at least. So it's is she suing just for herself or is she suing on behalf of... of... I believe she's suing just for herself, but it, I mean, I don't know. It could grow into like a bigger It would set a precedent with, if, it, if, certainly. It, if she won. Yeah. Um, so again, another thing we'll be watching for there. Um, and there are... Some NBA teams treat their dance teams right and some of them don't. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, Carlos Boozer. Actually, let's do DeMarcus Cousins first. DeMarcus Cousins is hitting threes. I saw just a little bit of this over the summer. I was at Impact Training in Las Vegas uh, with hmm. the Basketball Insiders team, and, and Boogie was there working, which, by the way, so awesome to stand there for 10 minutes and watch Boogie Cousins work and play basketball and work out. It was awesome. Got to shake his hand, too. That is a giant person. Um, <laughs> but he was he was spotting up and shooting threes there, and I was saying to Steve Kyler and the guys I was with, he's going to be shooting threes next year. He there was he, four for five last night. Yeah. He, he looks smooth there, and like, is there a more unguardable big man in the league than him? There already might not be, but is there at that point if he if he can actually so. shoot threes and make them? 
Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I might agree that he already was. Probably already was. Yeah, but now it's just, I mean, it's the, 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 the sky is basically the limit if you have that kind of talent down low and can, and can actually shoot threes. Agreed. Um, we've got this audio of Carlos Boozer's hair. You may remember years ago this great image of from above of Carlos Boozer's hair really pretty clearly just being sprayed on. Go find the image if you haven't already, by the way. It looks very silly. And Carlos Boozer went on ESPN this week to explain what happened there. Let, let's play his quote. I have to get to the bottom of this. It's a highly questionable investigation. What was going on with your hair that day? We need to know what oh, the... Oh, man. man. Listen, so truth be told, as you can tell, I started, you know, losing my hair a little bit. I, I, I know the struggle. I'm with you. Right, yes. Yeah, so I started losing the hair a little bit. Uh, they came out with this. It's like it's like a like a hair dye or whatever for men called the Beijing. Well, I had one, you know, one guy that was like, yo, have you ever thought about growing your hair out? And I was like, yeah, I was thinking about it until I saw some of these little bald spots on my head. So I was like, you know, I just cut my hair off. And so he was telling me that he could, you know, you grow your hair out, I could cover it up a little bit. And make it look like you got a regular, you know, haircut. So I tried it, and he just made my stuff look like like shoe polish up there. Man. <laughs> I still like I, listen. This is this is this is like five years later, and I'm still hearing about it. Oh yeah, so, you go hear about I, it. I, I still end. get this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We I we've been sitting here for 20 it. minutes trying to figure out how to work it in. Like this is this is you know we didn't want to hurt your feelings, but you know we, we, it, it was a thing. You know. Like, no, I'm not it, it, Trust me, I didn't heard it from my teammates, uh, from my girl. Like I didn't heard it from all my homies growing up. So it ain't nothing I haven't already talked about. But yeah, I was, you know, I was trying to get my hairline back, and you know, a lot of guys do it. I'm not gonna, like I said, I ain't need no brown, I ain't no snitch. I'm not gonna drop no name. A lot of guys do it, but that was definitely a, a mistake in uh, in the history. So. But I guess, never, I'll tell you this, though. Never again. Never again. <laughs> but, but when you left the house, you had to know what was coming, right? Like, what was the feeling like when huh. you looked at it and you were done and you were just like... Are you? Yo, I tried to shampoo that thing about seven, eight times, man. <laughs> Listen, so I went in the mirror. You know how you get a cut? You know, you think you looking all right, right? So I go to the back. I go to the mirror. I'm thinking, I'm going to look fresh. I said, no, I'm going to get this out of my head. I shampooed like seven times and it still wouldn't come out, bro. Man, and then I go to practice, right? Because it happened at night. So I go to shoot around the next day. Oh, no. And my, all my teammates are like, Booze, what did you do? I think we heard just about enough of that one. Uh, the no, funniest part great. of that might be the other guys just dying in the background. They can't even say anything. They're just laughing. Yeah, no, I I mean, this has been a real question. I'm going to be like this at some point in my life. My my beautiful blonde locks are are clearly are balding as uh, currently. You know, I I can't John, deny any longer. John's already there. John's already there. That's that's fair to say. I don't know that there is a Carlos Boozer paint on treatment for blonde people. Um that's going to be a little bit weirder looking. Anyway, that I am finally gl- glad that we got that explained by Carlos Boozer. It was kind of a weird fact of, of I don't know, it needed explanation. Yeah. All right, let's bullet point through these yes. last few. Greg Popovich is the new USA basketball coach. Great decision, short term, like you'd expect, because he doesn't want to do it forever. I think it's a good call. Uh, of course, like, of course. is there do you any think other there's a coach that you could that you would want? Quick question: Do you think there's a chance Quinn Snyder could be considered for his assistant staff at any point? Yeah, no, I, I mean, assuming Pop gets some choice in who he brings in as coaching, I, I think you know, Quinn, he he chose Quinn Snyder once before. There's no reason that he he wouldn't bring yeah. him in again. And you know, we've seen that with Coach K bringing in NBA coaches. 
Absolutely, there's a chance. Definitely. Wes Matthews played last night, seven months after tearing his Achilles tendon, causing our own Salt City Hoops' Dan Clayton to speculate about Dante Exum in his piece, <laughs> which you should read, by the way. It was a really good piece. Well, uh, I, I still don't think Dante Exum's coming back just because it doesn't make sense. You know, his whether or not he plays in the Olympics is still up in the air yeah. in, in June or July. What is it? August? When is the Olympics? They're late. Well, and that's, for, that's a conversation that's not for another April. time. Um, yeah, I, I, anyway, Wes Matthews getting back. Wes Matthews is a bomb. I, he's, he's the coolest. Not going to play tonight, which is a little too bad, but yeah. Hey, that he played at all is pretty impressive. Yeah. Red Panda's back, the nice. NBA's best halftime act, and no matter what Jody Genesee of the Deseret News says, it's not those stupid dogs that just do flips or whatever. No, it's definitely Red no, Panda. No, it is definitely Red Panda. She's the best. Go watch her on YouTube if you haven't already. Russell Westbrook said that he has never shaved his face in his life. How does it work? That How does it work genetically that a guy that's got that much masculinity in his body like that he's you know the guy does the most freakish athletic stuff we've ever seen but he's never had to shave and his how does that work i mean we should ask carlos boozer (laughs) (laughs) i see what you did there no um yeah and then one more or two more facts let's go to lol lakers yes Andy didn't want to do this, by the way. I forced him to. I didn't want to because, like, at this point, I have laughed my soul out at the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, There's at this always point, more. I feel bad for how bad they are. And, you know, they're, are they still a special team? I uh, I, I don't know. Like, but I, I feel just remember, feel bad about the Lakers. Rem- and remember this in, like, four years when they're good again and their fans are just trolling the crap out of I you know. on Twitter. Just remember that you didn't want to do LOL Lakers. That's true. A couple things real quick. Last night they were playing a game. First of all, they blew a 15-point home lead in the fourth, which is to a team that is not good and had two 19 or 20-year-olds on the floor at the time. So that's that hilarious. Team is. Minnesota Timberwolves. Correct. Um, more, in my opinion, hilarious was that with 4.2 seconds left and Los Angeles had a chance to win. They were down one point, I believe, mm-hmm. chance to win the game. As, uh, who was it that was, as Lou Williams drove to the hoop, Kobe Bryant called timeout. Not Byron Scott. We originally thought it was Byron Scott. It turned out to be Kobe Bryant himself from on the floor called a timeout, presumably so that he could get the ball on the inbound to then shoot the game potential game-winning shot. Then they stuck him on the inbound. He never got the ball back. Lou Williams missed a, or was it Williams? Somebody missed a floater. They lost the game. I found the whole sequence very funny. Kobe clearly called the timeout so that he could get the ball back on the inbounds, and then Byron Scott drew up a play that did not involve that happening. Still had 10 more shots than anyone else on the roster in that game. Fantastic. Um, second number two is Lou Williams. So as much as the Lakers are talking about this youth movement, it's not really happening, at least not through game one. No. Um, and I quite frankly don't think it is under Byron Scott. Not at any point. I can't believe they brought him back as their coach. <laughs> Sir, I really can't believe it. No, I, I mean, I can. Look at who's in charge. Good point. Yeah. Anyway, the Lakers, worth laughing at, even if you feel kind of bad about doing it at this point. Because they, they've just been so bad. Yeah, they really have been. All right. One more break. Last break of the Salt City Hoops show right here on ESPN 700. We're going to be talking about, Ben, your predictions, 10 predictions for the Utah Jazz season. I'll give you my opinion on those next Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. The NBS is my state. 
compliant. Just obey this code of conduct. I can't watch this game when I'm with you. You're throwing objects. You just can't do that. Oh, cops will slap those handcuffs right on you. If you keep on fighting, the best of fighting. This is good. Making up sing gestures isn't a thing that you Did they play this in the arena? I'm pretty sure they did. They did, yeah. This is the Atlanta Hawks safety video. Um, you know, telling the fans that they can't be throwing things. It's a very fighting, very, very flashy way of doing so. Honestly, this is like not a bad like cover of Can't Feel My Face. I, I'm just mostly impressed by the talent available in Atlanta. Um, anyway, we usually have a wacky song at the end of the show that... Leading off the last segment, that's another one. Today. I like it. All right, read that funny Mark Cuban quote before we yeah, do the 10 predictions. Yeah, so thing. while we were on the air today, um, you know, less than an hour ago, Mark Cuban said this about the Clippers. You can change the owner, you can change the players, but the Clippers are who they've been for the last 30 years. Somebody's a bit salty about the events of this summer. Yeah, understandably so. Oh, yeah. Because... I mean, what I, I saw some statistical projections that said that that would have added eight to nine wins to their win total. Really? Yeah. That's high, but still. Yeah. I, uh, no, I, I I mean, I think it's a little bit high, but I, I don't think it's crazy. Yeah. Speaking um, of, hey, real quick, Jeremy Evans is starting tonight for the Mavericks. <laughs> That's a little bit crazy. But Jeremy Evans is awesome. I'm, I love that guy. Rooting for him. Hardcore parkour. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Evans is the best. He's good. So... so uh, I, I, you know, maybe not on the court, but like as a human, he oh, is the awesome. nicest human that exists. Basically. All right. So you did this article last week, uh, 10 Utah Jazz season predictions. I just wanted to hit a few of them as we end the show, kind of looking forward to the 2015-16 season that's to come. Definitely. I did okay last year, too. I think I got like 6.5-ish okay. <laughs> was my final total. And a couple of the, I try and make a few like outlandish, ridiculous predictions each year. So I don't yeah. think that's bad. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to them right now, or at least the ones that you have for this year. All right. Number one, Rudy Gobert will block fewer total shots next season than he did last season. I'm sticking with this one. I'm actually decently confident in it. I He's made these – he did an interview with uh, with my boss over at Basketball Insiders, Alex Kennedy, uh, recently where he, he even specifically noted it was more fun when people would come into the paint and challenge me. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> uh, and that, that's not to yeah. say they never do it. But teams have realized that Utah's biggest defensive strength is Rudy Gobert standing in the paint. And they know that their game plan is now around that. And I just don't think that he's going to be able to keep up. His defense is going to be just as good as it ever was because that deterring guys from even trying those shots is a huge part of defense. But his actual block total, I believe, will go well down. So even though he's getting more than 300 more minutes probably yeah. this season, you still think his blocks go down? Yeah, I think I did the math on it. I couldn't say it for you right now, but when I wrote the article, I did the math on it, and I, I really think that his even if he gets up to 2,500 minutes, which I think he will, I think that he's going to be below that total. What was the final number? I think it was 200, 189 last year. Yeah. So 188 or less, I, I'm sticking with it. He did have three last night. They gave him three? Yep. Oh, well, that didn't start out well. <laughs> Again, this no, was, a, and right. like every prediction I ever make badly about Rudy Gobert, this is hoping that he sees it, gets angry, and d- goes out to disprove it. Fair enough. Uh, you also said the Jazz will not have the league's best per-possession defense, like they did to finish off the season last year, mm-hmm. but will finish in the top five. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think I'm going to stick with that one as well. I think there's going to be just enough pr- regression based on randomness, based on teams shooting a little better from three than they did against them during the back half of last year, yeah. from ha- teams having better solutions for the favors, go bare front line, so on and so forth. But I still think that they've got the personnel, that they, they, their, their personnel is too good and their coach is too good defensively to finish outside the top five. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I'd pick you know any combination to any combination of players to not finish first. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. there's just so much luck and, and there's injuries and whatever else that it's just unlikely that any team finishes as the best defense in the league. Yeah. Um, but I, I am with you that I also think the Jazz's defense is very good. In fact, elite so that it will be in the top five. So yeah. I, I'm with you there. I just wanted to kind of talk, talk through it. Yeah. I don't think that one was too crazy. Alec Brooks leads the Jazz in total point points scored next season. That's one thing you predicted. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a fun one. Uh, <laughs> another one that again, I'm, I'm completely sticking with it's going to be close. Note that I said total I points. Note that I said total points scored and not points per game. I just think that I just have this strange inkling in the back of my head that maybe uh, maybe Hayward misses a few games at some point due to some tweaks, maybe favors that that type of thing. It, it, this one, this one was a lot of gut and a lot of. Alec Burke's homerism and a lot of that, all that. Well, stuff. and you're trying to make like interesting predictions, right? Yeah. So, and I have to do a few that are outlandish. I think this is probably the most outlandish of them. But I, I really think that Alec has the skills as a scorer that he could potentially do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's possible. I, I think both Hayward and Favors are more likely to score more points than I, Alec. I agree overall, and I that that one. Wait, if you agree, then why are you predicting? No, no, no. It? I, I agree that. Uh, sorry, I should say I agree that on a per game basis, I think they will. I just think for, and I know it's 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 wild speculation to say the guy who had major surgery last year is going to play more games this year than the guys who played all of last year. But uh, it's it's a it's a gut part of it's a gut feeling. It's part of it is that I'm I like Alec Burks. Gut feeling still in basketball games, man. No, it's true. They do. and I I very rarely <laughs> go on things like gut feelings. So for this one, I wanted to have a little fun okay. and. and no, I, I'm not giving you too much crap because, again, you know, you're trying to be interesting. I just also think that it's unlikely. I'll put it that way. And it's because some of them were like, you know, the Jazz will collect a lower percentage of available rebounds than they did last season. Like, I'm going to get that one. That yeah. one's going to be right. Yeah. There, there were a few of them in there that are kind of gimmies. One thing I wanted to mention before the show ends is the home of the Utah Jazz. The former Energy Solutions Arena has a new name, yeah. Vivint Smart Home Arena. We at KSL and the Deseret News have jointly decided that it's okay in all places to call it just Vivint Arena. Um, that was kind of a fun event. Basically, everyone involved in the Jazz got together. There was a cool photo with Quinn Snyder, Jerry Sloan, and, and Frank Layden that was great. all on the court together. The video that Vivint produced um, with this company called Flinch um, actually features the guy, the Therm guy from the Quest Art commercials, runs oh. the video production company, that, oh, okay. along with the CEO of Melty way who's the with the grilled cheese making place like this place is, is awesome m- blowing my mind of, but anyway they made the video that was cool check that out if you haven't already the, it's called this arena you can find it on youtube ksl even on, i think we had it on salt city hoops too mm. anyway um it's great to be back on salt on the air on salt city hoops it definitely is and, th- and thanks guys for your patience while we were gone for understanding about baseball playoffs we've got 81 games left starting tomorrow against the philadelphia 76ers hopefully that's a jazz win we'll be watching it and, and reporting both on ksl and salt city hoops yeah <laughs> i don't have much more than that we're wrapping the show up all right well that's the end of the show thank you guys for listening check us out if on if you haven't on itunes stitcher radio uh and of course saltcityhoops.com the espn affiliate of the utah jazz espn 700